You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 42 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Divided Heaven. Started by singer-songwriter Jeff Berman, Los Angeles' Divided Heaven blends the raw style of the replacements with the intimate edge of Jason Isbell. Their new album, Cold War, produced by Charlie Stavish, was just released by Wiretap Records and Paper and Plastic Records. For more information on Divided Heaven, please go to at Divided Heaven on Instagram or DividedHeaven.com. Now here it is, their new single, 19. 
It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? (laughs) So do we. Why don't you come over and check it out. And stop listening to other podcasts. Thank you. What's up, everybody? This is Chris Swinney. I am your host for that one time on tour. Thanks for coming back once again. This is episode 42. I get to sit down today with my buddy Chris number two from the band Anti-Flag. We have a wonderful conversation. We talk about all kinds of stuff. You guys are not going to want to miss that, but that's why you're here. You came to hear my conversation with Chris. Before we get to that, I was going to tell you really, really quickly about my sponsors, Rockabilia.com. They have everything you've ever wanted from your favorite band. Go check them out over at Rockabilia.com. Put in the promo code PCTOTOT and save 15%. Also check out Sticker Wolf. Go to Sticker Wolf com or sticker wolf on all of the social media platforms they make stickers they uh, do graphic design they're awesome so check them out and you can use the promo code t-o-t-o-t and save 10 percent at sticker wolf also check out muncie music center it's right here in muncie indiana where i live they are at 600 south mulberry street or you can find them online at muncie they're a really really cool place and uh, you need to go support them okay so that was the quickest i've ever done the sponsors uh make sure that you check out divided by heaven the band that started off the episode they're really really good they're managed by a buddy of mine named pete And you guys need to check them out. Make sure you guys are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at T-O-T-O-T podcast. I hang out mostly on Instagram. I'm always posting some cool stuff over there. Uh, I'm looking for some sponsors for some upcoming episodes as far as bands go. So if you have a band and you want to look for some cheap promotion, look no further. Hit me up, T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com. If you like the show and you think you want to get more involved, we do have a community that we've started over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com com forward slash t-o-t-o-t and get involved in that way if you so choose it's about five dollars a month and you can help the show out and uh, i'm going to give you a lot of exclusive content and i want to give a shout out to jackie marshall one of our patrons 
just gave birth this week to a brand new baby girl. So congrats to Jackie and her family. I also found out today, speaking of babies, that my sister is going to have another baby boy and I'm going to be an uncle again. So shout outs to my sister, Sarah, and her husband, Andy, and my nephew, Ellis. Congrats, guys. Love you. And I uh, can't wait to, can't wait to meet my new nephew. Uh, okay, that's about it. I'm going to keep this short and sweet because it is late and I'm tired and I have to go teach the kitties some guitar tomorrow. So I need to get my beauty sleep. But I'm going to jump right into my conversation with Chris number two from the band Anti-Flag. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Chris number two from Anti-Flag. How you doing today, man? Very well, very well. I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for um, making it all happen. You were um, uh, you you were really diligent in making sure I didn't forget about it, which I really appreciate because I am uh, so forgetful all the time. Well, I just, I mean, when you set these things up, like I, I try to get a couple weeks out to make sure that I have episodes coming out and I, I try not to be bothersome to people, but I do like to go, Hey, are we still cool? And if we're not cool, we'll just reschedule. But I always like to let people know that I'm thinking about it and it's coming up, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's very smart to do that because as you know, um, in rock and roll, we didn't get here because we're good and punctual and, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We chose this because of the antithesis of that. So. Yeah, I've always kind of been, every band I've been in, I've been like the business guy. So uh, sometimes I can be a little overbearing. So thank you for dealing with uh, the emails and the texts and whatnot. No, I dig it. I dig it. I appreciate it. Well, that's cool, man. Well, uh, I want to start this off the way that I start off every episode. I, I really like to dig deep into people's stories. So I want to know what made you passionate about music. What was like that first thing when you were young and then kind of, you know, go from that into how you got into punk rock. Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, I, music was kind of just not a big part of my daily life at home. Yeah. And, um, it was interesting cause you know, my mom came, to the States from Italy when she was 13. And um, so the music that we would listen to was, uh, you know, Italian um, traditional music most of the time in the house. Um, and it wasn't until uh, a little bit later in my life, like maybe I was 10, 11, 12 years old, where I was staying with my cousins a lot. And because uh, my mom, my mom worked a lot. She would work a lot of double shifts. And during the summer when I wasn't in school, she had to send me away because <laughs> I would have gotten into terrible things. Yeah. So, um, so actually was really big into music and, and, um, he also is an Italian immigrant and, uh, he came to the States, um, uh, in his early teens as well. And, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, um, was, uh, just kind of forced to listen to Elvis and the Beatles and the traditional rock and roll music that, that he, um, that he listened to because, you know, he, I guess when you, um, are a young man and you come to America, 
that you have to be into it. <laughs> so um, in the fifties and the sixties. So, so that was what he kind of uh, cut his teeth on. And, and it was, it was always playing. And um, it's funny because my cousin just got married and the entire playlist was Elvis and the Beatles. And it's just, it's just so funny to, to be around that. And I know, um, obviously the Beatles um, are a tremendously important band to, to most people, but they are my favorite band. And um, I owe that all to my uncle. Actually it was my, uh, he had a guitar in his house too. And that's what, you know, kind of changed the game for me as well was I, um, um, I went in to the laundry room one day and there was this thing there and, um, you know, uh, music was kind of happening, you know, like, like, um, um, Nirvana was, was, you know, making waves. And, um, my cousin dated this, this guy who, um, he, he was like a 4.0 student at Penn State, super nerdy guy, but he listened to Green Day and he listened to Cringer and, you know, he gave me my first Bad Religion cassette tape. Wow. So I had no idea of kind of a countercultural thing attached to it because, like I said, this guy was like total preppy guy and you know, dressed nice. And, um, uh, so I, I, it wasn't until much later that I found out that there was a fashion and a community and all these things around punk rock. Uh, so I just, you just liked, thought it was normal. Cause he just had this music. You didn't know that it was this whole like scene, right? Yeah. I had no, I had no idea. I had no idea. And so, um, it wasn't until green day was on TV and I had already kind of been familiar with them. Like I had a thousand hours cassette tape and yeah. um, I was really into to Green Day. Um, and then I saw them and they had pimples and they looked funny and and they looked like me, you know, like they looked normal. And I was like, well, maybe I can play music. So then I picked up that guitar that was in um, – the, the laundry room and I started to learn how to play the music that I liked, which was, you know, Green Day Dookie, um, Nirvana Nevermind, all that stuff that, you know, tremendously shaped the landscape of uh, uh, American uh, culture in regards to music. So it's, it's amazing when you pick up a guitar and someone shows you how to do a power chord and you're like, oh my God, I can play all these songs that I love without a lot of knowledge of what's going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's a liberating feeling to, um, to have that happen, which is, which is the, the main thing for me, uh, in my takeaway from punk rock and what I hope, uh, to have any semblance of returning the favor to, uh, which is that, breaking down the separation between person who hears it and person who creates it. Um, just because that was the most eye opening moment for me was seeing young people who weren't particularly handsome or, um, uh, didn't necessarily, uh, fit in, uh, have this voice and have this vehicle, uh, this vocation. And, um, and so, you know, I, I really hope that people take away from the shows that we play that, that, you know, if these idiots can do it, anyone can. <laughs> That's kind of the, the overarching thing. 
I wanted, I wanted to ask you, uh, you guys, the last time that I actually was in the same area as you uh, was at the Hoodwink Festival back in 2009. I was in the Ataris. We did a Misfits set, and you guys did a Clash set. I wanted to ask you, did the Clash mean a lot to you growing up, or was that like a part of your life? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I missed it completely, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so it wasn't until you kind of do that thing where you're so infatuated with something that it behooves you to do the research and find out how we got here. Um, and that goes from your, like, you know, your stereotypical kid who finds Green Day and then finds out about Lookout Records and finds out about Operation Ivy and then finds out about, you know, what made those records and you're listening to reggae before you know it, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, similar, uh, similar thing with the clash. And, um, we start this by saying the Beatles are my favorite band, but I didn't listen to them until 2002 yeah. because I didn't think I had to, you know, um, uh, I only wanted, I found the clash and they were the most important band that there was. And I was going to dissect every second of that music um, um when you guys were you know picking a band to do for hoodwink which if people out there don't know that the festival like you know certain bands would choose other bands to cover like bayside did no effects you guys did the clash we did the misfits was it hard for you guys to all come together and agree on a band to cover uh no 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 pretty universally the clash or the band that all of us like i mean um justin and i probably drive the ship the most um chris head it would probably be way more into like fugazi or something more uh, of that ilk and pat just doesn't care about music so um <laughs> typically with anti-flag whoever is passionate the most and loudest wins okay. um and so definitely justin and i were loudest about the clash and okay. um i think that they're the band that we draw reference on the most so it just makes the most sense to not shy away from what our influence is you know i think that that that, that for me they certainly are the band that i reference the most especially in songwriting especially in um aesthetic and just ways to communicate the agenda um but um justin really really loves social distortion and um and that comes through a lot uh especially in the sonics of the band a lot of his songs really um have that vibe to them so uh yeah just uh take me take me back to 1999 when you joined the band what led up to that and how were you like how did you meet the guys and everything yeah um it's kind of a crazy story because i'm i'm a good bit younger than the rest of them so um i was a fan of the band um they were they were really doing well in pittsburgh and um uh, uh you know some of the bigger punk rock moments that i was a part of locally were going to anti-flight shows um when i was a kid and 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 seeing kind of you know, that was another one of those moments where I was like, I can do this because not only do they look like me, they're from here. You know, they live right down the street and I could see and touch and feel and be a part of this community. And um, so, yeah, I, I was 16 years old and um, I was best 
better friends um, with the bass player uh, who was in the band, Jamie Cock, at the time than I was with the rest of the the guys. And um, and she and I would, you know, just kind of talk and share demos and talk about the music that we liked. And, you know, that kind of brought me into the fold uh, of knowing the rest of them. But I also was like really it was such a new and, 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 uh, awakening experience to me. Like I was just taking it all in. So I was definitely drinking a lot of box wine and enjoying the freedom of punk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 that, you know, that led to those guys not necessarily thinking I was very stable, <laughs> but, uh, but when, uh, she was no longer able to be in the band, um, she lived in Canada and it came, became, uh, kind of trepidatious for her to travel back and forth. And, um, when that could no longer sustain itself, um, I kind of auditioned via Justin and just kind of kept on him and learned how to play the instrument with him one by one. And, um, um, and that led to, uh, um, yeah, that led to an opportunity to, to, uh, be in the band. When you joined Anti Flag, uh, did you were you were they already touring like or were they just doing like like kind of regional stuff? What was that like? Did you just automatically start touring with them? Yeah, so 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 the band was pretty functional. Um, I thought that they were popular around everywhere, and I found out quickly that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, as soon as you get um, two hours away from home, right? Yeah, it's just a strange, uh, it's just a strange feeling to, uh, you know, see them play for 600 people in Pittsburgh and then um, be in the van a few hours away and um, there's nobody and you feel like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, but that was great, you know, like, like that, that was, those were the experiences that, that we still talk about endlessly, you know, where, where, um, the show was was just us learning how to be a band and those are extremely important moments so um yeah i i they they had toured the u.s they had toured canada um they had done some bigger tours like uh went out with no use for a name went out with down by law um but when i joined it was right before the second record um a new kind of army and we got our first booking agent and we did our first um like full 60 day us canada headline tour and um uh and that was you know those are a lot of ups and downs there you know like uh it was a different time you know uh when you got into the south people came and wanted to fight you because you hung a flag upside down when you um when you played in middle of America, there would be three people and you wouldn't get paid. And, yeah. um, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it was a different experience, but it was great to have that, you know, uh, relationship where we actually had someone helping us book the shows. We weren't, we weren't on our own completely. Um, but we definitely didn't have cell phones. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to, man, like, I remember the old days of touring, like, before cell phones and before GPS, where you'd make the MapQuest directions before yeah, you would oh leave. Yeah. And I, man, I just, I remember that, and I look back on it fondly, but I don't know if I could survive like that anymore now that I'm so dependent on my phone, you know? It's it's remarkable to think about how quickly an aspect of our lives is just gone, and now it's like, 
it, I'm useless. Like, you put a map in my hand, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, it all has, it's all gone away. Dude, it's I don't even gone. know my wife's phone number. Like, if I didn't have <laughs> my phone, I don't know what I would do if, like, they don't call, call somebody, I'm hurt. Like, well, what's your wife's number? Yeah. I have no idea because I don't have my phone on me. That's so funny. My, my partner, she has uh conditioned me to remember it like we had like a big thing where it was like you know anytime we're at uh you know the 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 local grocery store is called giant eagle and if you don't have your little card to get the discounts you could put your number in and and if they're like well what's the phone number she has me answer it so (laughs) (laughs) to see if i can actually get it done so it's it's uh yeah, it's a good game. I suggest you try it. I, I will try it. It's when you guys back in, but back before you had the booking agent and everything, like the old school touring, like I was talking about, did you use uh, Book Your Own Fucking Life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, I know that it still kind of exists. I don't know what, how much of a reliable resource it is, yeah. but, um, but, but Book Your Own Fucking Life was like, it was the Bible. I mean, that was the only way to do it back then. That was that was our internet, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it was in print via Maximum Rock and Roll, but you know, eventually it transferred to um, to just like a, a, like a website, right? That anyone could upload. Yeah, stuff. it was like byofl dot org. I think was what yeah, it was. yeah. Because I remember using it as recently as two thousand and two. Wow. So yeah, so. Um, hopefully it's still kicking because it was really, really important. So uh, I wanted to ask, you know, I, I followed you guys for a while. I've, I've been a big fan of the band and it was cool to get to like, you know, to get to hang out with you guys to certain shows and whatnot. But in, uh, you guys ended up putting out a record on fat, um, to 2001 underground network. <clears throat> what led to the relationship with fat? I mean, cause I think it, it seems like a really nice mix. Like you guys and fat seem like it works really, really well. When, when did you guys get hooked up with them? Yeah, that that's that's interesting. It, it's kind of a funny story um, because we 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 almost put a new kind of army, the second record, out on Fat. So um, Pete from the Bouncing Souls gave Mike "Die for the Government," which was the first anti-flag record, and um, and he called and he said, I, "I like your record, and you guys are working hard." Um, you know, send me demos of your next release. And we were already pretty far into to writing New Army. And, um, you know, we're sending him almost mixes that were going to be the record. And, uh, and he came back and he wanted to put the record out on Honest Dawns. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember. It was like the, the imprint they had on Fat, right? Yeah. And, and we didn't want that to happen. (laughs) We felt like, we felt like it was, you know, kind of like a minor league affiliate thing that he was trying to do. And, um, but he offered us a really great deal and, you know, we were like, well, you know, maybe this is, maybe we can like kind of be a part of this new thing. That's really cool. And, um, and then this comp came out called honest Dawn's uh, great, greatest shit <laughs> I, I i had the clown pooping in a cereal bowl or something yeah, right yeah yeah and it has it has one of our songs on it because we thought we were gonna sign and we saw it and we were like we can't be on this fucking label <laughs> so, I, I think that was my first introduction to the band actually i mean i yeah, i remember yeah. i have that comp in a drawer somewhere right here in my studio <laughs> 
That's funny. Yeah. So, so that was kind of the kiss and the curse. It was really helpful. And a lot of people heard about the band from it, but it ultimately led to us going with go-kart for a new kind of army and not honest ons or fat. And then, um, uh, subsequently we did, uh, warp tour 2000 and that was, we were touring on a new kind of army then. Um, and that's whenever Mike finally really saw us and kind of understood a little bit more and, um, then wanted to do, uh, underground network on fat. And, um, it, it's, it's been a really cool relationship to this you know, to this day where, um, we did two records with them. I will tell you that we expected our lives to be different. Yeah. Um, once we signed and released a record on fat and they weren't, <laughs> Yeah, and, and that, that, uh, it, you know, it, that's one of the most valuable lessons as a band we've ever gotten is the failure of underground network where we assumed that, you know, there were there was good riddance, there was lag wagon, there was no effects. That when we put out anti fight underground that work on Fat Records, that two hundred and fifty thousand people were going to buy it like that because of the label on the back and our our, our lives. Like I said, were going to be different, um, and it didn't happen. You know, it was released and nobody cared, and um, the only people that listened to it were the people that we could communicate to ourselves that it was out. And um, that prepared us, you know, for much later when we signed to the major and they kept saying, oh, don't worry, you know, if you sign this deal, Wednesday is going to look a lot different than Tuesday. And we were like, motherfucker, (laughs) (laughs) you can throw money at it. You can do whatever you want. That doesn't mean anybody's going to listen. Yeah. And um, that really prepared us to navigate and negotiate our way through some of the more tumultuous times economically and, and um, emotionally uh, whenever it came to signing to different labels and things like that. Well, can you take me through uh, when you guys signed to RCA, I think it was 2005 there, mm-hmm. there seemed to be like what I saw on the internet and whatnot was a little bit of backlash. I mean, it's, it's almost like people that, you know, got the ideals of your band and like the kind of the message and, and some of the political stuff you guys spoke about and how, you know, capitalism and whatnot. And then you guys signed to a major and then those people are pissed off. I, I was happy when you guys did it because I think I always thought you guys were great people and you guys deserve to get your message out to more people. So, yeah. so like how, how was that when you guys signed to RCA, did you think there was going to be some backlash? I mean, there subsequent subsequently was some backlash, but were you guys yeah. prepared for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were, we were very prepared for, we were having those conversations amongst ourselves, you know? So I think that, um, um, I think it would be naive of us to believe again, that any record company was going to, um, change the trajectory or change the pace of our work. Um, we 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 had we had that entire first major record written before we signed RCA and um what ended up happening was that um so Tom Morello who uh obviously was in um 
Rage Against the Machine, and, you know, he helped produce the Terror State for us, which was our second record on Fat, and, you know, uh, he's been a big kind of spiritual guru and mentor for, for Anti-Flag um, since we met him when we did a tour with Rage uh, in 1999, and um, he played or gave the terror state to Rick Rubin. Wow. Uh, and, and Rick wanted to sign the band for the next release. Um, and there were a lot of majors who were picking up bands at the time. Rise Against had signed, Saves the Day had signed, If I had signed. Um, uh, uh, and they were all kind of knocking around and just seeing, you know, like saying kind of like bullshit things that we never took any consideration towards where they'd be like, if you ever want to do this for real, give us a call. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In which case you're just like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. You know? <laughs> um, but Rick came and Rick was someone that we really respected. And when we met with him, he said all the right things. He was extremely focused on the politics of the band and music was ultimate to um to business and and he felt as if he could help us create a record that would be impactful um both sonically but also um socially and and that really spoke to us you know um unfortunately when rick rubin was to sign a band especially a punk band in 2004 is when all this stuff was happening um everybody does <laughs> and so so then you have to like weed through who's for real um and um there were things that we got promised to us from rca that we just couldn't get from from rick and um a lot of them were financial where yeah. um he was we, we rca was guaranteeing um money that we were dog earing to help like each of us picked charities to give money to each of us. You know, we created two nonprofits with money from, from Sony and RCA. Um, we built a studio in Pittsburgh. Um, and these are things that we couldn't get, you know, in, 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 from Rick because Rick, he was leaving the door open to make the record. Um, and we, it was hard for us to have these conversations with him where he would be like, look, I don't want to dog ear any money anywhere in case, you know, we don't make the record in the month and a half we have scheduled. What if it takes longer and we need to spend more money making the album? And we would say, well, that seems crazy because we're a punk band and we should make our record in two weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and he would say, well, the record's done when it's done. And he would talk, in really big sentences and um you know where they were emotionally big and and that was appealing to us but also terrifying because yeah. we had friends in international noise conspiracy who had a record that wasn't coming out and was you know we heard horror stories that it was um on the fucking mixing desk for, you know, one song was on for a week and a half because Jeez. he was hearing things, you know? And, and, and you're like, well, obviously he is a genius, but what if the genius comes and spends all of our money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, he's going to be a millionaire at the end of this. I'm not, you know, yeah, so, he, has, he has nothing to lose for him. You know, he just goes back to his mansion. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a lot of ways, all of that stuff that seemed super appealing was also, like I said, terrifying. Yeah. And um, and and you know, again, just just having a piece of paper that. You know, Rick didn't want to give us two records. The the RCA deal was two albums, and then we got to leave. You know, yeah. uh, there was so little risk in that, and we would not have gotten that deal if not for Rick Rubin. You know, like they were uh, guns blazing to take a band from him, um, and uh, and that worked out in our favor. And so. We ended up being able to do a lot of really cool things with it, and um, you know those aren't necessarily conversations that you can have at the time. Yeah. Um, and so pe- people tend tended to say things like, "Oh, Antiflex signed to a major." I hope that more people hear their message because of that. But that was never a thought process of ours because we had had that previous failure with Fat. <laughs> so yeah. We were like, yeah. We can't say to people, yeah, we're doing this to spread the band's agenda. What if nobody hears it? What if we don't get any bigger? You know, then it's a failure. So um, we wanted to be, we wanted, we saw it as a clear opportunity to, um, to take out of one hand and put it towards something that we felt was altruistic and we felt viable and you know i think that for blood and empire is our most politically focused record maybe up until the one we just did american fall and um i think it's because we were so cognizant of making sure that yeah sony paid for the entire process but we definitely took money out of the mouth of the Kelly Clarkson's and the yeah. you know, American idols of the world. <laughs> and, uh, and we felt pretty good about that. It was a bit of a rock and roll swindle, um, but we did our two records for them and we're free to go. And, um, and it's, I'll tell you what, I'm still using microphones and, and gear in the studio now demoing an anti-flag record 10 years later that they paid for. And there's value in that. Hey, I don't know if you're a fan of sublime or not, but there's a, there's a story that this kind of reminds me of Um, back when I think epitaph wanted to sign them back in the day. And they gave him the crazy amount of money to go do like a production deal and like do demos. And they basically built in a studio and bought all kinds of gear and then did all the demos on a four track and gave it back to him. <laughs> and then they never signed the epitaph. They just they used all that money to like get all everything they wanted, and they had like a cassette from a little Tascam four track. Here's our demos. That's, a, that's amazing. That's amazing. I just always thought that was a cool story. But yeah, I mean, again, there was a lot of people there who 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 worked really hard and and um, cared about music, and you know, it's just. Uh, we we put out a record on go-kart and that guy never fucking paid us yeah. and you know it was a terrible experience so you can have you can work with evil people on indie labels <laughs> oh definitely <laughs> you know? yeah so 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 for us again having having those experiences and lived through them it was like if as long as we create a deal that protects ourselves and we're free to go at the end of it we're free to go in. They were so afraid of us. They gave us the vinyl rights for the two albums that are on the major. So we, we really like think about asking a label to give you 
vinyl now, you know? Oh, yeah. That's insane. <laughs> like, it you, would never happen. And you yeah. got you guys have AF Records, correct? Yeah. And so we released the vinyl for, uh, for Blood and Empire and Bright Lights of America on AF Records. That's crazy, man. They just yeah, gave it yeah. to you like they... Yeah, yeah, we carved it out of the deal, you know. Um, they weren't allowed to have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, I know there's one thing from that time period. I know uh, just from what I know of you and seeing on Instagram and stuff, you're, I know you're a big hockey fan, correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I read when I was doing some research that your song, This Is The End For You, My Friend, was actually on the NHL 2007 video game. That had to be awesome, right? Yeah, we've had a few. We've had a few. Um, that was the first one. And that year, um, it was really funny because we had this manager and and um, and she was really, she really like worked this entire thing to get it all down, like brought um, the people from EA Games to the studio on a, a couple of our last days of mixing to hear stuff and um, really worked hard. And they were so happy to get the football game and because I guess it sells all the copies, you know? Yeah. And the woman is there and I'm like, I literally say like, I don't give a shit if we're on anything, but the NHL (laughs) 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 and our poor manager who had worked so hard to set everything up, um, was looked at me like I'm going to fucking murder you (laughs) because I I was just like, look, I've been playing this NHL game since I was 10, since a video game system came out. Like, You've got to fucking do this for us. And um, thankfully, the song was in both the football game and the hockey game. So the manager didn't murder me. But um, yeah, but it was a pretty, pretty funny experience. That's awesome. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. There's something that I was reading about online and I didn't even really know about this, but I can kind of understand it. I know with, you know, you said touring in the South, some people like don't really know what's going on as far as the name and having the flag upside down and whatnot. I know there's always been a little bit of controversy with people thinking that the name of the band means anti-American. And I I know that's not what it is, but I read that around September 11th, uh, 2001, that some of the albums were pulled from shelves and whatnot. I mean, do, do you feel like it's almost exhausting trying to explain to people what the band's about and what the name's about that aren't in like the inner circle? Yeah. It's, it's really funny because it, it has not been an issue for quite some time. Um, you know, I think that we still get fucked with when we fly places, we still get fucked with our mail. Um, you know, there are, there are people who are, um, unhappy that the band is called anti-flag you know that's never going to go away we get somebody writes to us every day about a person at school a person when they were just walking down the street or anyone fucking with them because they were wearing an anti-flag t-shirt um but the vitriol and the violence attachment is really really much less you know and um it was bad to tour the south in the early late 90s early 2000s um post september 11th it was it literally dangerous you yeah, know um yeah. people were coming to the shows to get us you know whereas before it would just be like we happened to be playing with another band they would turn around and hear it and then be mad (laughs) like this was like i actively came to you (laughs) so that that thankfully has gone away and and i think that part of it um is that those of us 
Um, and I, I don't mean you know just anti-flag was right, but those of us that were in the anti-war movement of the early 2000s, um, we were right that yeah. the, the war was unjust and the, the plan was wrong. And that vindication um, post-September 11th where people were so blood-hungry and, and, and so bent on some type of revenge, um, those folks are now able to take a step backwards and say, well— you know those those that were calling for peace at that time. Maybe there was a little bit more to that than I initially uh, felt, and um, and I think that's led into you know all the things that we see you know culturally where people tend to be. And I know we're living in Trump America in 2019, <laughs> and and I know that the the that fascism is on the rise, but those seem to be stemming far more from socio-economic uh, and um, uh, uh, different factors fight that are pushing the world more right-wing than just blatant nationalism or blatant um, uh, uh, vengeance you know I, I think that that it's not necessarily about going to war it's people that are afraid and when people are afraid they make poor decisions and that's why we're kind of in the place we're in now is it's being driven by fear uh, far more than it is being driven by anger yeah and i i i think that's really cool and i everybody that's ever asked me because i have a couple anti-flag shirts and and i I've, i live in indiana i lived in alabama for the last like eight years i was down there working a job after i got out of the band but uh, yeah, I've had people before like, "What's your shirt all about?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I explain to them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, war sucks." I didn't know that's what it meant. So yeah, I... yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting because you know there, there are a few canned answers that we have for when instances that happen like that, and you can kind of judge the scenario for yourself. You know, if, is this someone who I'm able to have a conversation with where there might be some type of an education process at the end of it? Or is this someone who I need to say the thing I need to say so I don't get beat up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, 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 I caution people to um, use their best judgment, but I will always err on the side of please don't get beat up. It's not <laughs> worth it. It's it, it really – we're going to win uh, – um, a lot further down the line uh, and it's going to be a much more arduous battle than picking fights over the t-shirt that you're wearing. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, Hey man, I have a, uh, a listener question if you wouldn't mind answering it. Yeah. Cool. No worries. Okay. So uh, Andy from Wisconsin, he says that he knows that anti-flag has worked with Tim from Rancid and Tom from Rage Against the Machine. Are there any bucket list people like artists that you would love to work with? Hmm, that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like to do something with Billy Joe. Um, um, we always like everything we've done, um, as far as like guests has been like, you know, like Morello, we just said, here's eight bars, do a solo, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, Tim Armstrong on Brandenburg gate was like, here are the words, this would sound really cool if you sang this, you know, yeah. we haven't done a thing where we sit down with somebody else and write a song together. Um, and I feel like you can put Tom and you can put Tim and you can put, um, Tim from rise against, you can put, um, 
like I said, Billy Joe, um, all of those people back on that list for me just to sit in a room and say, let's write a song together. Like that would be, that would be really cool. Um, just to see what other people's processes are, you know? Um, didn't you guys do some sort of song with like, uh, the good Charlotte guys and John Feldman or something? Am I imagining that? Yeah, no, we never worked with John Feldman. Um, but, but we are managed by Benji and Joel. Okay. Um, maybe I'm just, I'm totally confused. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, and they, they've worked with John a lot and, um, we like John, we'd love to work with him. Um, in a in a production role, but we've never done anything like that. And, uh, but but Benji did per, kind of executive produce the last record where he was in the studio a lot because we recorded it in the management offices. Um, maybe so, that maybe that's where I'm getting, and it's just in my head for some reason. Feldman came yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so he it's it was really funny story because um, like Benji would be in the studio with us every day, and. Uh, you know, and like having ideas and throwing them at us, like, what if you played it like this? What if you did this? And like two and a half weeks in, I looked at him and I was like, you know, you're producing this record. (laughs) And he was like, no, man, I'm just hanging with my butts. And anti-flag being the socialist that we are, we believe that people, if they do work, they should get credit. So we (laughs) we have credited him as a, as a producer on the record. That's awesome, man. So, uh, this is all about touring. That's I, we go on tangents and whatnot, but I also I seem to have this thing in my mind. I don't know if this is true or not. I didn't research this, but at one point, didn't you guys do like all fifty states tour or something like that? Um, we we have been to every state except for Alaska. Okay, because I remember there was something like this was years yeah. ag- years ago. I saw on the internet you guys were trying to do all fifty, or you guys had a certain amount of states in a certain amount of days. Well, I know that I, I know that on the American Spring and American Fall records, we set out to play every place that we have played as a band. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it brought us back to a lot of towns and a lot of places that we had not been in forever, and um, and it's pretty crazy because sometimes you're like, oh, here I am in the same venue that we played 15 years ago what am I doing with my life? (laughs) And then sometimes you're somewhere and you're like, Oh fuck. I haven't been here for 15 years. This is great. You know? So, uh, it leads to, it leads to some interesting scenarios for sure. So I know you guys have done a lot of stuff like overseas. Uh, do you have like a favorite part of the world or a favorite country that you've been to with the band? Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as like touring Germany is the kindest, place in the world to anti-flag um quebec is a close second um the only thing is you can play like 20 places in germany where you could play like three in quebec yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh but yeah i mean like montreal is my favorite city to play in um followed closely by berlin or munich um and i and i just think that it, it <laughs> Both of those places, and a, and a lot of Europe is this way, and why I think that um, Antifag does so well, um, specifically in Quebec and in, in in Europe, is that people are free to care about more than just themselves. Um, and I mean that, like, places with universal education and universal health care, when you turn 18 – 
you're not locked into deciding what you're going to do for the rest of your fucking life. And you're not married to an endless debt once you graduate college, or you're not living in fear that if you get sick, um, you uh, are going to have these uh, insurmountable bills. So people tend to stay engaged and tend to stay um, aware of what's happening in the world for longer periods of time in these places, which I think lends itself for a band with a political agenda like anti-flag to remain a part of their lives. You know, whereas in the States, it's almost like people turn 17, 18 and they got kind of get out of punk rock, you know, and they, or now it's like that thing where it's like one night a week I go or one night a month I go and get a babysitter and I'm able to go to the show, you know, yeah. which is totally fucking cool. Like, I think we need to change inherent systems in America to make it more acceptable for that to happen. But um, but I also think that, you know, the festival cultures different in those places where, you know, you'll see anti-flag on a bill with the crazy big German hip hop artist and they'll put us in front of those people. And we get to say, Hey, we're from the U S and I know we elected Donald Trump, but not everyone here believes that racism is okay. (laughs) And uh, we're here to tell you about it. And that really connects with those folks. And I think one of the reasons why we, we um, were able to have that connection is, it's just the, 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 the political infrastructures that they have. That's cool, man. Well, uh, I tell you what, man, I've had you on the phone for a while. I don't want to keep you much longer, but I do want to know what is in store for anti-flag coming up in the future. I mean, you've been in the band now for 20 years. That's, that's got to feel pretty good. It's got to also feel kind of weird that you joined when you were that young to think you'd still be doing it. So what's coming up in the future for you guys? Yeah, it's, it's insane. Uh, this is 25 years of the band. So, wow. Um, it's a really important time. We're, we're writing a record now. We have some touring in the spring. Um, Pat, our drummer, he just had his first baby uh, over the winter, so he's been, you know, laying low at home. I've been in the studio writing every day, and um, just hoping that that in this year we can kind of really like pick our spots, challenge ourselves to be better as a band but also you know put ourselves in in places that are outside of our comfort zone um i think that that's what we've learned mostly is like what keeps this growing and what keeps it exciting is is when we do that is when we when we're not afraid and we're not allowing fear to dictate our decision making but but we we take risks and when we bet on ourselves it tends to work out so um I think that, that what you'll see from Anti-Flag is, is a record that is, is more focused, um, more akin to kind of what, we, what we've been doing with, with the last two. Um, and, um, and, I'm ho- and I'm hopeful that, that, you know, when this all flushes out in the uh, keynotes of history that, you know, there'll be these little documents left behind that when it seemed like the world was going to shit, there were people like yourselves people like us who were fighting <laughs> and, and, and really just like raising our hand and, and, and uh, hoping um, to, to make some type of dent in the armor of the normalization of bigotry, which you see happening every day in 2019 America. So, yeah. 
Well, and I'll tell you what, is there any way people can find you online, like your own personal socials or for the band? Yeah, um, we're just, um, I think it's just at anti-flag for everything, no okay. hyphen. Um, and um, yeah, we're all there. We, we're all on the, the things. <laughs> Some we're, we're not very good at them, but we're trying. Um, like I said, we've got uh, new management over the last couple of years with Benji and Joel, and they've got a really great team of young people who tell us that the internet is really important. <laughs> yeah. And we go, okay, we'll try. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have one last little question for you. It's just something that I know that you guys have been very involved in the Vans Warp Tour over the years. And yeah, yeah. I- I'm sure it's done a lot for your band as it did for the band that I was in. What are your thoughts on it ending last year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's funny because I felt bad because I, I, they, like, called us for, like, the, I don't know, someone's writing a book about it. And um, and they were like, well, what do you, what do you got to say? I was like, well, I mean, people made a lot of money. They did okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, it's not like... Um, yeah, I, so I mean, uh, my my my, the things that I mourn are the opportunity. Um, I think that that it is very rare that we have so many different types of people from different walks of life come together and are able to kind of see past those separations, be introduced to new things. So it's a lot of really great young music. That, that happened on that tour. There were a lot of great young activists that got introduced to activism because of that tour. Um, but do I miss not knowing what time we play and, you know, like, like being, it's not a tour that's built for me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, 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 like there's like 40 days in a row, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, I, I like, so I, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have much nostalgia for those type of things. Um, uh, I, I miss I, the barbecue. That's I miss the barbecue. Yeah, yeah, but again, but again, that's the same, the same opportunity that is afforded to everyone who walks through the door at any given show yeah. to meet and be around some new things was afforded to the people that were in the bands every night at that barbecue and places oh, yeah. like that. And and that that's the thing that I think is important. Um, far less like. You know, people people say like, "Oh, well, how are people going to learn about punk or learn about these things?" They'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, Grandpa's way isn't always the way. You know, sometimes yeah. Grandpa's got to get the fuck out of the way for the new thing. So, <laughs> um, so I'm I'm hopeful and anxious and waiting to see what the next version of that looks like, where people can come together from uh, different avenues and 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 hopefully create positivity out of it. Well, that's cool, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show today. And uh, I'll send you a link when it comes out. And it's been great speaking with you. And I can't wait to hear the new anti-flag stuff and, you know, a lot of luck and just good fortune in the future, man. Great. Thank you so much. And I appreciate your patience with um, <laughs> the, te- the technical issues. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. Not, the listeners aren't even going to hear it. I'm just going to edit right through it, man. It's going to be fine. Oh, sick. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. 
So there it was, my conversation with Chris number two from the band Anti-Flag. Hope you guys enjoyed that, that last little thing we were talking about. We had some technical issues. We actually started the podcast off on FaceTime audio, then we switched to a regular phone call, and then we actually went back to FaceTime audio. I did my best to edit it together. Uh, I was having some Wi-Fi problems, and I think he was as well. So it was the perfect storm, but I think we got it figured out, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. I am going to get out of here. I only want to tell you guys that I enjoy every week doing this podcast and thank you so much for being a part of it please check us out on patreon.com forward slash t-o-t-o-t podcast if you guys want to get more involved if not just follow us on all the social media platforms it's t-o-t-o-t podcast and uh, send me an email if you just want to talk or whatever you know it's t-o-t-o-t podcast at gmail.com you can call the hotline it is 1-765-372- 8818 and leave us a message. But other than that, I think I'm going to get out of here. I've uh, taken up too much of your time already. I know you guys are all super busy. So uh, whether you're driving to work or you're just waking up in the morning and listening to me, I, I appreciate you guys very, very much. I would also appreciate if you would go to wherever you download your podcast and please subscribe, rate, and review us. It goes a long way to help the show grow, and uh, that would be amazing. So thank you so much if you've already done that, but I would really appreciate it if you would do it, preferably five stars. Okay, I'm going to get out of here, but uh, before I leave, I'm going to play an anti-flag song. Now, this song is a song that I love. It's called 911 for Peace, and I think you guys are going to thoroughly enjoy it. If you're an anti-flag fan, I'm sure you've heard it. If not, maybe this is your gateway into the band. So here it is, Chris number two and anti-flag with 911 for peace. I'll see you guys next week when my guest will be Mr. Brian Venable from Lucero. Yes, I love Lucero. I'm so excited. Here it is, 911 for peace, anti-flag. I'm out.
There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.